baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for our weekly chat about the Braves and Major League Baseball as we get set for summer camp. At least that's what they're calling it. It's spring training, but in the middle of the summer as all 30 teams get themselves ready to get ramped up for a Major League Baseball season, it'll be just 60 games and we'll get started a little bit later this month because that's right, it is now officially July. We are more than halfway through the year 2020. It's felt like quite the ride, and hopefully for Major League Baseball, there'll be a little bit of fun in store for us over the next couple of months once they're able to get things going a little bit later in July. On this episode of the show, Bill Rowland and I will go through the latest Major League Baseball news, and I'll be joined by Paul Bird of Fox Sports South to talk about what pitchers are having to do to get ready for this short season, which again starts in just three weeks. As always, want to let you know you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews, and if you like the podcast, be sure to share it with a friend. And you can find From the Diamond on social media, on Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can find Bill Rowland at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. On Instagram, the show is at FromTheDiamond with no underscore. And I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And, of course, you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. So a lot of news happening across the Major League Baseball landscape this week as all 30 teams head to their big league ballparks and those satellite facilities and get their 60-man player pool ready to play the 2020 season. I want to welcome Bill Rowland into the show. We've been talking about baseball without things happening really on the field for quite some time since way back in March when spring training was put on hold. But now, Bill, we have summer camp, and we've got baseball players doing baseball things on baseball fields. And we've got baseball rosters, which yes. uh, we they'll finally get to get it to 60 and then they'll get it down to what they're going to have to start the season at 30. And these are the type of things that we would talk about in spring training with them cutting down the major league camp. We get to it in July better to get to it in July than not at all. I guess. No doubt. I think that we're all hoping to find out what major league baseball season was going to look like. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it took to get this season off the ground. Of course, there were some very contentious negotiations and there was more on that front this week as well, but I just kind of wanted to start out with the fact that, you know, we've got these teams they are heading back to their parks. They're doing, I guess, their intake screenings to bring everybody in, get them tested for COVID-19 and you know, determine exactly what everybody's health is as they get this stuff going. But for the most part, this is going to be a pretty big weekend because you're finally going to have these baseball activities again. But unlike spring training, when you show up and report and have that five, six, seven week period to get ready, this is going to be kind of the hurry-up offense, if you will, in some ways, because you're only going to have three weeks to get ready for the regular season. Yeah, I think this is more a concern for maybe pitchers than it is for hitters, though, because I feel like hitters don't necessarily need to, to get their arms stretched out, as it were, with the pitchers that are used to going, you know, six, seven, eight innings. 
they were shut down if these guys didn't continue a throwing program in their hometown or wherever they were uh, since March. It, it may be one of those things where you see starters only going three, four, maybe five innings at the beginning of the season and kind of take some time to get ramped up. I think the hitters will be okay. I worry more about the pitchers and even the relief pitchers that that have to get ramped up to being able to throw two out of every three days, back-to-back days, whatever it may be, three out of four, you know, that type of situation where I don't know, again, having never been through it and never done it, I don't know how much time you need to get ramped up there. So I think the teams that have the deeper bullpens are going to be the teams that get out of the gate quicker, I think, than most teams. And I think teams with better offenses, you think about the, the Twins, for instance, I think they're going to be the team that maybe comes out hot at the very beginning because – I think the hitters will have the advantage for the first couple of weeks. You know, interestingly enough, I would be on the other side of that coin. I feel like this okay. may be much like the early part of the season where, of course, there'll be guys that get off the hot starts. That's going to happen. But I almost feel like for hitters to go that long without facing live pitching, that the advantage might be for the pitchers in terms of just the general advantage that you think about. But to your point, and I'm going to talk to Paul Bird of Fox Sports South about this. Of course, he pitched a long time in the big league, so he has some pretty good insight on this as well. And is going to weigh in with an opinion on who might be out in front or not. But either way, I feel like to your point about the length of the appearances for starters, especially you're going to see a lot more perhaps stress or tax put on those bullpens as well. And for the teams that are well-prepared, and I certainly think the Braves are one of those, both with their retooled and revamped bullpen and also a wealth of young starting pitching prospects who are just trying to find innings for these guys has been a bit of a challenge over the last year or two. The Braves are set up really well. Not every club is going to boast that kind of depth and the quality of depth with some of the arms that Atlanta possesses. And we could find out very quick what it's going to look like for teams when the starters are not being expected to go six or seven innings or more. Yeah, you talk about the Braves. They have, what, four or five guys that have closed at some point yeah. in their career. And I don't mean like a random closing, picking up a save or two. I mean like with an actual closer. So mm-hmm. they, they do have a bullpen that they can stretch. So if you have at the beginning of the season, starters only going five and maybe six innings, then all of a sudden that back end of that bullpen, you just have to cover the seventh, eighth, and ninth. You almost have a situation with the Braves. They're so good and so deep that they could have an A and B squad as far as relief pitchers where your A squad is going seven, eight, nine one day, and then the B guys take over the next day going seven, eight, nine, and you probably don't have much of a drop-off between the two depending on how you set them up, especially since they're still keeping the three batter minimum Mm -hmm. in place. It really, really helps a team like the Braves who don't have to worry about trying to mix and match. They can just throw guys out there and say, hey, I know you've done it in the past. Go get the eighth inning for me tonight. Yeah, not only that, but you don't have that same degree of strategy you did in the National League before where when are you going to pinch hit for this guy? You know, maybe a guy can all of a sudden, if he's, you know, not used very many pitches to go out there the first time, He doesn't have to pick up the bat and worry about hitting and you don't have to pinch hit for him. Maybe he can go get the leadoff guy of the previous or excuse me of the next inning because he's already out there. He's faced his three batters pitching a say a scoreless seventh. Maybe he starts the eighth and gets those outs or maybe if he you know got a very quick and clean inning you can see a couple of two inning outings from some of these guys. But I really think the the depth and the strength of the Braves and again another thing I'll get into with Paul Bird as well is that you've got some of these top flight pitching prospects that even if your starters, your, you know, air quotes, big starting five is only going to go three, four, maybe five innings. You're going to have guys that can come in and do two to three innings of relief to bridge the gap to get to the back end of that bullpen. But it's going to be pretty interesting as the rosters go from 30 on opening day 
to 26 by the end of that first month, how exactly these guys are going to round into form. And, of course, the starters will build up their stamina, work a little bit deeper into games as well at that point. But that's, I think, one of the big focuses as you get in and think about a three-week spring training is just making sure your pitchers are ready to go and that you're putting them in a position where you're not going to do too much damage to them after a long layoff. And you can carry once you drop from 30 to 26, you could still probably carry uh, 13, 14 pitchers if you felt like you needed to, if the starters still haven't got to the point where they're giving you seven, eight innings. Because as you mentioned, the DH now universal in both leagues, you don't need to have those extra guys because you're not going to need to do double switching and those things like that. So it's easier to keep more pitchers on your roster, which again, a team like the Braves, if we're going to be specific to them, they are so deep when it comes to the the arms that they have. It's simple for them to keep 14 guys of the 26 and really not lose that much because you still are going to have three guys on the bench that you can put in for defensive or speed purposes or pinch hitting, but you don't need to have more than that to cover every time you pinch hit for the pitcher. Yeah, I do believe the limit is 13 of the 26 players okay. can be pitchers, and you can't go beyond that unless there's a doubleheader, and I guess maybe you get an extra guy for that. But either way, I mean, this is a team that is set up well for that. Not every club will be, and of course every team will be looking for guys to step up and contribute in the early going as well. And when you talk about the spring training and or summer camp you know, aspect of this, and we know that this is not going to be so much like the Grapefruit League or the Cactus League where every day you've got another exhibition game, but – Teams will be able to schedule a handful of games at the end of this three-week period to just, I guess, maybe knock the rust off and be truly ready for opening day. should be interesting to see what matchups come into play there because it's going to be regional, of course, based on the travel restrictions for Major League Baseball this year. Yeah, and, and that's kind of an advantage for a team. Uh, you know, you look at, say, a Baltimore or a Philadelphia or even New York teams because they're close enough again The Mets can go over and play the Yankees. They can come down and play Philadelphia, Baltimore. It's simple for them. It's even a day trip, really, uh, a couple of hours to to drive down to Philly if you're uh, the Mets. For the Phillies, it's only a couple hours to drive down to Baltimore or to D.C. to take on the Nationals. So those teams will have an advantage as far as it's not that tough to do it in a day because they don't want these guys, I'm sure, staying overnight in places just come down for the day and ride back it's like a bad bus trip on the in the florida league i guess but what do you do if you're kansas city or what do you do if you're seattle I mean, that's the thing you know minnesota i guess they've got detroit milwaukee are kind of close by but it's not nearly like they have here on the east coast true i think both the florida teams obviously could play one another just depending on how things are going in the state of florida of course and uh, for the Braves, I don't know what other East squad that you're thinking of. Maybe the Phillies, I guess, at that point, or you know, maybe the Orioles or some other team that's in that East division that they're playing out of. And you know, for Kansas City and St. Louis, I think that's kind of a natural pairing there. Cleveland, of course, has the Reds to play, Cincinnati and, and Cleveland, the two clubs. I think that'll work itself out. But there will be some outliers. Again, I think Seattle's a pretty good point as far as you know what are these clubs going to be able to do and i think it's just based on if you can make it happen great it's certainly not required and major league baseball is not putting out a full schedule of uh, games that they're expecting to happen but just one of the things clubs can do and i guess for the others intra-squad may have to be the order of the day and i think that's kind of interesting when you look at what players have had to do the last five six weeks especially you know maybe you take a little bit of time right after spring training to take a breather but you've got to continue training through this time away from the game and a lot of these players down in florida decided to do so uh and i found it really interesting an article in the athletic that came out at the end of the week by Brittany garoli 
and it had a pretty much a star-studded roster down in Palm Beach that was competing you know, live at bats, and they even did a couple of what they call fight club games at the end of this thing where they did play a couple of games. They broke down these rosters, and you know, guys got some game action in, but I think this is pretty creative, and this is kind of what you were wondering. What are these guys doing? How are they you know, getting the competition in, not just the reps in the batting cage or you know, maybe throwing some simulated games, but there's a whole different level to the competition when it comes to getting yourself ready from that aspect mentally to get back out there on the diamond again. And those are the guys that not only were doing that down in Florida, but that were training elsewhere as well that kept up with their routine. Those are the guys that will have a better 60-game season than some of the guys who went home and probably thought, you know what, I don't think the season's going to happen and maybe didn't ramp things up until now they have to show back up. So, um, yeah, as you said, getting those reps, especially against some of the superstars that were down there in Florida, uh, that's a lot different than, you know, going out to your old high school and, and having, you know, junior college guys throw to you or, or you know, hitting off of the tee and, and all that other stuff and just trying to get your timing back to actual play games against guys that are, you know, in some cases, future Hall of Famers and All-Stars. Those people, those teams are going to be better off for their players having done this than the guys who haven't done anything. And it will show in that 60-game stretch that they're going to have for the regular season. The way athletes are now, I think a lot of people show up to spring training in shape to begin with. So I would imagine that same kind of mindset would carry over to, you know, the layoff that nobody could have foreseen between spring training and then hopefully getting back to play later in the summer. I'm sure that a lot of people are questioning, will there be a season, uh, not only because of the pandemic, but also because of all the arguing and infighting that was going on trying to decide what the schedule was going to be. But I think for the most part, guys, as much as you can, probably stayed as ready as they could. But this group down in Palm Beach, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Corey Kluber, Giancarlo Stanton among those, Luke Jackson of the Braves was a part of this as well, and a whole bunch of other names that you know folks would know. And it was joked about in the article, which I, again, would recommend. It's at, uh, on The Athletic. Brittany Garoli wrote it up and uh, called it the Prohibition Baseball Inside the Biggest All-Star Game that No One Watched. Had they known in the area, maybe, that these guys were going to be out on the field, you might have seen kind of a walk-up crowd that wasn't expected, but probably for the best, that they were just playing socially distanced with one another and doing their own thing without drawing a crowd. It'll be interesting, too, Grant, because that's a situation where those guys out there, and I know from covering Scherzer here in Washington, probably one of the most hyper-competitive guys yeah. out there, and I'm sure a lot of these guys are, it will be interesting to see if, at any point during the season, if there are no fans at the very beginning, if they're not allowing fans to come in, if these guys will reference this little fight club games, as they called it, if they'll reference it again as saying, yeah, you know, we kind of had practice of getting juiced up to play with no fans because we did it already. Yeah, It's going to be interesting when there are no fans in the stands to see if guys that feed off of either trying to shut up 35, 40,000 people or – you know, the adrenaline you get from 30, 35, 40,000 people behind you yes. to see how much it changes when they don't have that uh, to kind of feed off of. Yeah, I think it's going to be really different. And just one of the big and most noticeable aspects about sports probably in the year 2020, I don't know what the spectator rules are going to be for the other major sports and, of course, collegiate sports that are going to try to come back at some point this year. But for Major League Baseball or really for any athlete in general, I think you have to feed off the crowd at least a little bit. I mean, it's not necessarily just your driving force, but as you mentioned, I mean, you can't simulate the feeling that these guys get from a competition standpoint, maybe an extra edge that they get 
from having that emotion of the fans, that energy that can be in the stands. And I think that's something we're going to miss just from the organic feel of the game. It's going to be a little bit strange to hear really nothing when it comes to the reactions of the folks that would be, you know, cheering these guys on or doing quite the opposite and, and maybe booing somebody because, you know, that's just the nature of how the sport is and how the spectator part of it works. I mean, that's the fun and excitement of having that live crowd there is that element that you, again, you're not going to be able to replicate or replace. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I hate to keep going back to Scherzer, but he's a guy, I mean, you watch him, if he gets into a jam in late in the game, you know, seventh, eighth inning, and the pitching coach comes out to talk to him, and he gives him that stare of, I'm not coming out of this game, and, you know, he starts stomping around the mound, and the crowd at home is going crazy. Can he replicate that when there's nobody in the stands. Now, I don't doubt for a second his competitive nature is it going to take a step back. But that, as you said, that little extra bit of adrenaline that I don't know that we can measure, um, you know, when guys are out there doing it, you you just don't know how much the difference the crowd will make as far as getting a guy pumped up either to finish out the inning or get them too amped up. And all of a sudden, you know, for a pitcher, the control is a little bit off. Or if you're a hitter, you're so anxious about trying to drive in that go-ahead run from third or whatever it is that you that you overswing on something. We don't know because I don't know it can be measured. I know people for years have had an argument about, you know, a clutch hitters or protection or any of that stuff. Well, there may be some way to try to measure, you know, the effect of the crowd. I guess we'll maybe find out in this small sample size of 60 games if no fans are ever allowed in. Yeah, I mean, it's all part of the mix for sure. And I do think that certain guys, and whether it's conscious or subconscious, there's going to be some level that is just not going to be there in the game. And it doesn't mean that these guys won't be trying 100% or you know, playing as hard as they can. It's just going to be different. I think that's the thing we've all come to realize about the year 2020. If you haven't come to grips with the fact that this is going to be different, not just baseball, but also how we're living day to day, then I got news for you. It's going to be different. So either way, it's going to be fun to see these guys get back out there, start competing again, and find out what these games are going to look like if all of the health parameters are in place and we're able to proceed through this season, as we're all hoping will be the case. But not everybody is coming back to their individual teams. There were a handful of players who had the the option, the choice of opting out of this season. And there are four players that have done so as of the end of the week here. Mike Leak of the Diamondbacks, a pitcher, was the first to do so. A pair of Washington Nationals did. Ryan Zimmerman, of course, a longtime you know, third baseman slash first baseman. And I would say kind of de facto captain of that team for the better part of the last decade and a half or so. And also Joe Ross, the pitcher. And then the Rockies' Ian Desmond, a former national, who has been out in Colorado for a handful of years now, signed a lucrative contract with the Rockies. And I think of all of the different gentlemen that opted out and chose to you know, make their decision public, release a statement, what have you, Ian Desmond was by far, I think, the most thorough in explaining what his thought process was in arriving at his decision not to play this year. He posted it on his Instagram it got a lot of traction, of course, across social media. And you know, I applaud a player for having that kind of authenticity, that kind of honesty, and what went into his process and why exactly, for the family reasons, uh, chief among them, that he decided not to play baseball this year. Yeah, and, and I respect all these guys' decision. We talked about it last week. You know, you can't place a value on your family's health. Right. And if you feel like you're in a situation where your family's health may be in jeopardy and that that dynamic has to be measured for each guy alone. Um, 
then I got no problem with you not wanting to play. I, I completely get it. And, and Desmond talking about how he wasn't just going to step aside from baseball completely, how he's going to try to go and give back to youth organizations during this season. I, I think that is a quality move by him as well, because as you said, the, the statement that he put out there basically explained it point by point by point of everything going on, not only with baseball, but going on outside of baseball, not only uh, with with the coronavirus, but the stuff going on uh, outside of that uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything mm-hmm. that, that he felt like he needed to be better served at home with his family than playing baseball with the Rockies this season. Right. Both his family and also just in the community and, and what he explained about you know, what the racial tension means to him, given his background, his upbringing, what baseball has done for him, but also I, I think pointing, maybe pulling the curtain back a little bit, but not in a, a necessarily a shocking way that there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes in a clubhouse or a locker room in sports that maybe at this point we should reevaluate exactly what people are saying and, and doing and thinking, you know, in their everyday lives. And I think that 2020 has certainly been an opportunity for us to, at the very least, even if you just don't want to change your ways, if you haven't considered what's going on with other people and, and started looking at, you know, some of the things that it may be time to reassess, well, you know, from a personal accountability standpoint, maybe it's something to consider. I'm not going to, tell people how to live or what to think certainly but you know i think that ian desmond did a great job of explaining all of the intricacies of where he was what headspace he's in right now and making this choice this was not just as simple as oh a major league baseball player wants to sit at home and just get paid and you know take advantage of the opportunity to do so i got a little pushback on social media about that kind of stuff and i I don't think that could be further from the truth no and and you take it further and you consider a guy like Ryan Zimmerman who wasn't even sure if he was going to get a contract offer from the Nationals to come back this year before any of this started for him to make the decision. And he's got a young infinite home. His mother also has uh, MS, so he has to take her into consideration as well. So he's got a couple of high risk, um, you know, family members, but there's a chance that we may have seen the last of Ryan Zimmerman. Sure. What's to say that he sits out all of 2020 and he'll be in his late 30s come 2021, it's tough. You know, When as the older you get to miss an entire season to kind of knock that rust off. And quite frankly, he may sit at home and be like, you know what, I kind of like this. I kind of like being around my, my family. I kind of right. like being around. I don't need to go to the ballpark. You know, at some point, athletes kind of come to that realization that, you know what, I can be a regular guy. And, and I think Ryan Zimmerman – as much as he loves the Nationals and he is the Nationals, is still one of those guys to me that he can look at the bigger picture and say, you know what, I don't need to come back in 2021. I'm I'm done at this point. And and it may be that case. And that's that's terrible for baseball to have it happen. But I understand his reasoning. Joe Ross of the Nationals, both his parents are doctors, I believe. Yeah. So he's probably getting pretty good medical advice, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. So all these guys – whether it's the reasons that Desmond gave or Zimmerman or Ross leak, all of them have their own reasons for doing it. And there isn't a single one of them that's come out with their statement that I've read it and gone, well, that doesn't make any sense. Every single one of these guys, all four of them, I looked at and said, well, you came to that decision pretty educated as far as your situation and you got to respect it. Yeah, you definitely do. And another article on The Athletic, which again, if you're not a subscriber, there's a ton of great baseball content on there. I encourage you to do so, but I just wanted to throw this out there because I think it kind of goes hand in hand with players making that decision to opt out. Trevor May of the Twins, a pitcher from Minnesota, 
uh, the title of this was more or less players. Some of them are just waiting for the bad news about what this virus and the, you know, the health implications could mean long-term. We don't know exactly just yet. We do know as far as the twins are concerned that their bullpen coach, Bob McClure and their coach, Bill Evers are going to remain at home this season because they're at higher risk of contracting the virus. And I think the concern for the players is how do you're keeping your team healthy and also focusing on baseball and how do you take away the effects of everything that's going on in the background? And to your point about whether it was Ryan Zimmerman or Ian Desmond or Joe Ross or Mike Leak, whoever it is and whoever may come after these guys, you know, there is a whole different set of circumstances going on away from the baseball field that's impossible to ignore. So that's going to be part of what we play through this year. And I do think that MLB is going to do as much as it possibly can, but this is going to be a pretty fluid situation. And I think that they're going to have to, you know, continue to evolve and and make the adjustments they need to. And we are going to have to ask that what if question of if there is an outbreak on one team that involves six, seven, 10, 12, 15 players, if it runs through a clubhouse, what do you do then? Does that team begin forfeiting games? Nobody really knows the answer to that yet. MLB would have to come in and do something. I'm sure there's somebody somewhere is trying to think that up and come up with that answer, at least from my understanding of their manual that's 113 pages long. You know, you're going to have to cross some bridges when you get there, but this is going to be on the mind of everyone as they go out and play what is going to be a very unprecedented style of season. And that will be the case. I mean, even if you're not a team, let's just you know say it was the Mets and it happened to them and they were playing the Phillies, even if you weren't the Mets or the Phillies, but even if you're out in your Texas or Arizona, you still in that clubhouse are going to see, oh my gosh, three, four Mets came down with yeah. this. When is it going to come through our clubhouse? Because obviously they can't keep it out. So it's going to be a concern. And and, and again, I look at it and, and these guys that are going back into it and, and yes, they're playing a game and yes, they're well compensated for it. It's still everyday life day to day that they know, Hey, if, if one of my teammates comes down with it or I come down with it, I'm putting my family at risk. I'm putting myself at risk. And as you said, we don't know five, 10, 15 years from now, what some of the long-term effects are. There are reports out there that there, there are some people that seem to have permanent lung damage. I mean, that's something that guys who are, yeah. Uh, at the peak of their athletic career, have to consider and wonder if it's going to affect their ability to play this game three, four, five years down the road. Most certainly. And that's going to be on the minds of everyone as they make their decision to play and then continue to evaluate it as they go through the year and manage the circumstances around them. And some things may be in your control to a certain extent, but a lot of this is out of everybody's control right now, quite obviously. So we'll continue to monitor the health ramifications and specifications, if you will, that Major League Baseball is going to be looking to put in place and keep in place to keep the players as safe and healthy as possible and play the season in a responsible way. And they, of course, are aiming to do that at the end of this month. However, a casualty of this season and one that I think we all expected just based on where we are on the calendar was minor league baseball. Their season for 2020 has been officially canceled. First time in the organization's 120-year history that they have called off their full season. Uh, MILB made the announcement on Tuesday afternoon. I'll read just a, a brief snippet from it. These are unprecedented times for our country and our organization, as this is the first time in our history that we've had a summer without minor league baseball being played. This is from the minor league baseball president, Pat O'Connor, in their statement. 
He went on to say, while it's a sad day for many, this announcement removes the uncertainty surrounding the 2020 season and allows our teams to begin planning for an exciting 2021 season of affordable family entertainment. And that last line may seem like a throwaway, but as a guy that worked in the minor leagues and traveled on those buses and got to know those players and got to go to those stadiums and see those fans and it really just live and breathe that product for a while, minor league baseball is such a critical component, I think, of the overall fabric of the game of baseball. And I really hated seeing this announcement. I expected it. I was waiting on it. I felt like it could have come a month ago just based on the fact we were no closer to getting baseball back, but I really, really hated to see this bill. Yeah, it stinks for all those that aren't on the, you know, what, full 60-man rosters that MLB is doing. Obviously, that covers a lot of minor league players, and they'll be able to work out. They probably, a lot of them, many of them, most of them will will not see a single game action this year, but at least they're going to be still working out. But it's the other guys that, it's just a, a lost year for them. And there are some guys who are right on the cusp that can't afford to have a lost year. Uh, you know, we talked about Zimmerman maybe not ever coming back to play Major League Baseball again because he's going to sit out this season. Well, there's probably a couple of 23, 24, 25-year-olds that might have been right on the edge that they need to just have one good year to kind of move up and, and maybe get a possibility at that, you know, 10, 15-game you know, shot at, at Major League Baseball that is going to be gone. And I feel terrible for them. I feel terrible for the people that yeah. run minor league baseball. Your, your average person, you know, for your minor league baseball team that is out there doing the parking lot or selling concessions or doing whatever it is, that's extra money that all those people needed. And it, it's a shame because even more so than Major League Baseball, the, the minor league ballpark is really about the community. You see mm-hmm. so many more um, you know, little league kids running around and, and they have kind of free reign to run around in a minor league park way more than they would at a major league baseball stadium. And, and that's always the fun thing is to see the kids show up with their uniforms and they're talking to guys. And and even though there you know, probably isn't anybody in some cases that will ever play in the majors, it doesn't matter. Those little kids see those guys out there playing baseball and making a living at it and are just starstruck no matter who it is. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of stinks too. It's a trickle down for all of it. So I, I understand why they had to make the decision, but it's just heartbreaking for so many people to the little kids. It, it stinks for everybody. Yeah, it really does. And again, as I said, I, I worked four years in the minor leagues as a play-by-play guy and you know rode those buses and went to those stadiums and got to know those people, whether it was fans or players or folks in the front office, concessions workers, the folks, you know, all around the ballpark that it is a community and it has the ability, I think, to more readily reach into the community because of the overall size and in the markets that a lot of these teams are in. You know, you don't have to be a big city to have professional baseball there. You don't have to be a New York or Los Angeles or in Atlanta or, or any of these other you know major metropolitan areas. That's what minor league baseball does. It kind of spreads the game across the country in a manner in which I think is vitally important to allowing the game to brand itself and be available for people to fall in love with. A lot of folks, their first professional baseball game isn't going to be a big league game. It's going to be a minor league game, and they may go to a lot of them, you know, in relation to or in ratio to how many big league games they may go to in their life, especially if you don't live in driving distance of a big league town. So there's a, a lot of different reasons why I feel like this is such a shame, and I know it was coming, and it still didn't make it any easier to hear that announcement. Of course, a few questions that come out of this. How are the prospects going to receive you know, their year of development? The ones in the player pool will get a little bit of something, but as Bill said, they may not play an actual game of any sort this year. I'm 
a game that counts. They may not you know, get any big league time out of it. And then we don't know about the fall league and instructs and the winter leagues and all those kinds of things. And, of course, from a financial standpoint for the players, and I'm sure for a lot of the teams in general, there has been a lot of strain put on that. And not everybody knows where their next check is coming from. So you put that all into the mix and then think about the fact that a bunch of minor league baseball teams could be going away next year, as soon as next year. It's a really tenuous time for minor league baseball. And again, it just makes this a very bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, no question. And and I know we, because we talked about it, I think it was back in January about how minor league baseball and major league baseball were having their arguments about how valuable they are to the entire system. And a lot of teams are going to have to go away. And, and maybe this will be a bit of a wake up call when, when minor league baseball hasn't played this year, maybe it will show uh, some of those folks in the in the MLB, you know, upper office that, hey, you know what, you kind of do need minor league baseball to help grow the sport. And that's the main thing that it does, I think, better than any other minor league system across uh, all the sports. Obviously, college football is kind of minor league sure. for the NFL, but to sell it, you know, people are not paying as close attention to the AHL or the ECHL in hockey or the G League in basketball as much as they do the minor leagues in baseball. Baseball needs these minor league teams to be healthy, these cities to, to support the teams. And if they just go away, if they think they can kind of reduce it down to just double A and triple A, I think they're sadly mistaken. I 100% agree. And I look forward to having this discussion as we learn a little bit more about maybe what the plans are going to be down the lines. But I, I could not agree more with all of that. I think it's vital to the overall success of the sport to if you want to maybe realign some things and make some tweaks to the minor league system, I don't disagree with perhaps the need for that, especially if you want to improve the quality of it. But just the outright contraction of a big bunch of teams or leagues, not sure that's going to be the answer anybody's looking for. And hopefully folks will have a lot of time to think about that before something like that were to go into place. And as we wrap up our discussion about what's been going on in the world of baseball this week, it wouldn't be a week unless we got to talk about what Rob Manfred's up to as the commissioner of baseball went on the Dan Patrick show this week and made some comments that Bill, I think are going to be quite interesting and are going to reverberate through perhaps the CBA negotiations that are not too far away because Manfred said that the reality is we weren't going to play more than 60 games, no matter how the negotiations with the players went. This was on Dan Patrick's show on Fox sports radio. It blows me away to actually hear him say it, even though that's what I'd been thinking the entire time that MLB's owners and that side of the table was just looking to waste as much time as possible to get the length of season they were comfortable paying people for. And as he went on and was pressed by Dan Patrick to kind of explain all of this, he said, we're playing 60 games in 63 days. I thought it was 60 games in 66 days, but maybe my math is off, Bill. I don't know. Um, I don't see, given the reality of the health situation over the past few weeks, Rob Manfred said, how we were going to get going any faster than the calendar we're on right now. We did get a suboptimal result from negotiations. No kidding. The fans won't get an expanded postseason, which I think would have been good with a shortened season. Okay. The players left real money on the table. And here's where it gets interesting, at least to me. That's what happens when you have a negotiation that, instead of being collaborative, gets into a conflict situation. So, Bill, I'm interested to get your feedback on this, but it felt like Rob Manfred went out on a limb that limb began breaking, and then he began trying to walk it back and then dumped it where else but squarely in the laps of the players. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people look at it and say, oh, so from the very beginning, all they wanted to do was play mm -hmm. 60 games, yep. and, and this was a, a shame of a negotiation. Now, yep. you can take that and say maybe he meant 
after they had had the initial one and the clock started ticking down and they were, remember they were debating 60 or 70 games. And at that point, fine. You want to say it was that, and it wasn't from the very beginning when they were, you know, talking about 81 games and 90 games. And if you want to think that, okay, he wasn't talking about doing 60 then fine. But the rest of it is still just as ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Their CBA is up after 2021. If you don't think the players are going to take this because it is on tape, it wasn't said in some back room somewhere, and not hammer the owners when it comes to the negotiation, if that does not happen, right. then the Players Association needs to find somebody else to be in charge because this is a gift, as far as I'm concerned, to them to really hammer the owners. I don't know what Manfred was thinking. I don't know how, as you said, I don't know how he expected to walk it back and not think that this wasn't going to collapse on top of him because the players are just going to be laying in wait after 2021. And I hope that the owners don't dig in because if they do, it's going to be again in 2022, we'll be talking about a shortened season because they will not get done in time. There will be a lockout or a strike, one or the other. And we'll be sitting here going, all they had to do was negotiating good faith back in 2020, and this wouldn't be a problem. Well, now, a year and a half out, it's a problem. Well, I guess we're getting to that point in the negotiations where perhaps the players had gotten to the win and wear dynamic of, okay, look, if this negotiation's not going anywhere and you're going to keep giving us the same uh, you know, the same general proposal every single time, just moving some numbers around to make it look different, but in fact it's not any different, and then rejecting every player proposal, then – just tell us when and where. Maybe it was around that time that Manfred is is suggesting when there was a sit-down meeting between himself and Tony Clark of the Players Association, the union head. But either way, to come out and say something like that is amazingly off the cuff at best. And at worst, it kind of reveals and draws back the curtain of the fact that a lot of time was getting wasted by the owners in these negotiations because I felt like what ended up being the offer that was accepted by the players really should have been where the whole thing started to begin with. But unfortunately, we had to wait five, six weeks and go through a whole bunch of bad press and just general bad feelings and discontent as baseball fans and people about what the sport was doing to itself. And I think that that certainly is, there's no hiding that now. But Manfred went from the 60 games in 63 days into, well, our negotiations were bad because it was all about conflict and not collaborating. I feel like that was kind of short-sighted. And the fingers could be pointed at both sides if you want to, but certainly could be pointed at the league when it came to the conflict side of that as well. So, you know, that led Miami Marlins CEO Derek Jeter to add that there is no trust between the league and the union and with the CBA and our not-too-distant future needing to be negotiated. That just doesn't make you feel great after all of this, that there could be more and perhaps even worse when it comes to the talks between these two sides to keep this sport on the tracks and moving in the direction we all want to see it go. And, and that's a big quote from Jeter to say that there is no trust because he's been on both sides right. of it now, obviously as a player and, and now as the CEO of the Marlins. So my thing is, and I know maybe Rob Manfred's not a PR guy. Maybe his background isn't in that. I don't know. But when you're asked that question, don't you have to just basically say, look, negotiations were tough. Both sides wanted different things. We finally had to come down to this agreement, and we're just happy that we're going to be able to play baseball in 2020 with everything going on. This was the best-case scenario for both sides to be able to do this and turn it into a thing about COVID and the coronavirus and everything else. Don't sit there and right. point at the players and say, well, I mean, you know, they weren't going to negotiate in good faith anyway. So it's just it's mind-blowing 
every single time we think baseball has done something to get it figured out because they were going to be one of the first sports, if not the first of the four major sports to come back and play, they shoot themselves in the foot and now everybody just sits there and goes, well, great. So this was, this was a, a done deal before the negotiation. So everything else was just a complete lie because the average fan isn't going to parse the words. The right. average fan is going to dig deep into it. They're going to see what Manfred said in the headline or a two paragraph story and go, well, this guy's an idiot. Right. And that's going to go with the narrative that a lot of people may have already had just based on reading, not full dissertations on what the nuance in the negotiation is. But I read this headline and I skimmed the first three paragraphs and, and I'm just I'm mad about this and nothing's going to change my mind. I've already made up my mind. Yeah. And, and that's a lot about how we as a society, which is unfortunate, how we ingest a lot of our information and in our news these days. There's just not a whole lot of time that's spent because everything is so instantaneous and so reactive that we always seem to end up in these places. And it's unfortunate. And baseball, in some ways, you would think should know better. But I've heard executives, whether it's on MLB Network Radio, MLB Network on just TV or just different articles and things I've read and talked to folks around the game, it's pretty clear that this whole thing is not being run by PR firms. This is being run by people, these negotiations and the way that they've played out by folks that definitely want to win an argument and they really don't care what they do to win it. Yeah, and, and that's fine behind the scenes. They can do that, and it makes right, sense. Right, but what I'm saying is this, the problem is it's playing out publicly. Right, right. I, I would love, and I don't know that it'll ever happen because people love to leak stuff, but I would love to see whether it's baseball. It doesn't matter. Whatever sport it is, the next time they're in their labor negotiations, for both sides to just say, you know what? We're going to sit down and we're going to come to an agreement. And it may be in a week. It may be in 10 days. maybe in two days. Right. When we have one, We'll let you know. Until then, dead radio silence and just get it done. But it can never happen that way because both sides have an agenda to leak stuff out. Yeah. Well, I would love to see it play out that way as well. But I think you and I both know have been around the game long enough, been around the block enough times to know yeah. that we're probably going to be reading more headlines throughout the process. But either way, that was what was in the news this week for Major League Baseball. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of uh, interesting stories will continue to follow. And, of course, as the players get ramped up, we'll have more to talk about with how rosters are shaping up and those decisions and how that stuff's being made. And, Bill, I'm looking forward to talking about that more so than I'm looking forward to talking any more about anybody's negotiations for anything. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll start getting into rosters and who we think is going to be best equipped to handle a 60-game season, and, and we'll get closer and closer. And, again, hopefully – we're not that far away from actual baseball. Absolutely. And we're not that far away from a big Independence Day weekend. Hope you and your family enjoy it. Hope everybody out there listening enjoys theirs as well. And Bill will reconvene next week, hopefully, with a lot more baseball talk about what's happening out on the field. Absolutely. Happy July 4th, everybody. And we'll do it again next week. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves as they and the rest of baseball get back to the business of trying to get ready for this regular season. And to help me talk a little bit about what the Braves pitching staff is going to be facing as we get into this 60-game sprint, I want to welcome Paul Bird into the show. Of course, the former major leaguer, former Atlanta Brave, and a Fox Sports South analyst. You can follow Paul's work on Twitter, at PaulBird36. And, of course, I'm happy to call him a friend. Paul, it's been too long. Looking forward to talking a little bit of baseball with you and really happy to have baseball back in our lives as well. Well, I appreciate that introduction. First of all, I really appreciate you calling me a friend. Uh, feelings are mutual, and that's one of the things I miss as much as I do the games out on the field and the players are just mm -hmm. the friendships, meeting guys in the tunnel, running the guys in the locker room, talking baseball. 
um, it's kind of a family, a community. I feel that way with Braves, Braves Twitter. I feel that way with people inside the stadium, and I miss those relationships as much as I do the games themselves. So hopefully we'll turn this thing around and um, figure out uh, how to get guys on the field and keep them healthy when they're out there. We'll see. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. It is definitely a community, and getting it back is um... – nights as it is to watch the game and to be able to attend games and that kind of stuff. Hopefully that's going to be something people will be able to do, but you know, the camaraderie that comes with it and with sports in general, I think is a huge part of what can help us kind of find our way back to what we hope will be a little bit of the normal life that we had before things kind of got turned upside down this year. And Paul, as you saw, as we all saw, it took a lot of back and forth, but MLB finally did agree on a plan for this 2020 regular season. It's a 60 game schedule with limited travel We've got a universal DH. We've got an extra inning base runner rule and no expanded playoffs, which I think some folks were actually looking forward to. But I think we just got to make the most of it. I mean, what was your first impression of what will be the 2020 season if we can get this thing off the ground? Hey, look, I mean, there's so many changes. It feels a little bit like travel ball, slow pitch softball with the total, you know, DH and all of those Mm -hmm. things. But it's baseball and the best players in the world are going to be playing under the same rules. So I'm certainly willing to give it a chance. I think this year, if any, is reason to try some of these new things out, like relievers coming in, having to face three hitters, and we just see if we like it. And I'm certainly willing, again, to give it a chance, give it a try. Uh, the lineups, you know, playing um, against the, the NL East, playing against the American League East, uh, that whole thing is crazy to me. So yeah. it'll be fun to see how this plays out. And uh, like I said, um, everybody's playing the same type of format so there can't be too many excuses (laughs) no doubt about it and we'll see what everything how everything shakes out as we start to you know see some of these games happening and of course as teams begin to get themselves ready maybe a handful of exhibition games they can schedule Uh, for you and for me both as far as broadcast schedules I think we're still kind of learning what that's going to look like as well so it's going to be a season unlike any other Uh, talking with Alex Anthopoulos the Braves are planning to tap into their stable of young arms which we've heard a lot about over the past few years as part of the rebuild and of course part of the Braves success at the top of the National League East for the last couple years and now they're going to use some of these young arms to fortify the rotation over the first few weeks and I think pitch some valuable innings Uh, what's your takeaway on that kind of strategy because I think that uh, for a lot of clubs they would love to have the kind of depth that the Braves have right now but for these young guys this is a chance to really step up it is it's opportunity and um you know, there's going to be a grace period because not everybody's going to be super sharp after three weeks. So I, I think that uh, coaches, people are going to understand that. And you're going to have to play certain things by ear. You may have to play a hot hand. You may switch lineups occasionally because of, you know, everything's going to be so magnified. If I'm only going to play 60 games and I'm used to playing 160, it's almost like September. Like, hey, it is a race for the playoffs. We're all in this, and every game is going to count double. So the value when a Braves game is played on TV is going to be so huge. Um, you're going to have to make those changes earlier. And good for those young guys getting a chance to shine on the big stage um, in this environment. It's, it's oozes opportunity, and we'll see who takes advantage of it. Yeah, definitely. And just historically and from your experience as well, and the early going when we come out of spring training, guys have had a lot more time to get themselves ready. This is going to be a little bit different because there's only the 60 games of the season, but you also only have about three weeks to get yourself ready for it. Do you think that will favor the pitchers a little bit more than the hitters, at least in the early going? I do, because hitters do not 
pick up on that slider. They don't pick up on yeah. that curveball, changeup, et cetera, until about the last week of spring training. And they haven't just been seeing that for a month. They may have been playing games for a month. But we start pitchers practice where I show them those sliders two weeks before they even begin playing games in spring training. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. Scott Rowland used to tell me, he goes, I don't even want to see a slider because I can't hit a slider. I can't, you know, he's just, <laughs> I'm just trying to get loose right. the first month of spring training, work out my swing, work out the kinks. There's no time for that now. So I do think that hitters are going to be late to the dance. The way pitchers are going to be late is not going to be in their stuff, their sliders, their curves, their change-ups. They're going to be late in their conditioning. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go, and I'm talking about starters only, it's hard to go from – throwing bullpens to three weeks later, throwing six, seven, and eight innings. It's not going to happen. They're going to throw three or four, and it's going to be very important that you have quality relievers in that bullpen. I love how you said many teams wish they were as deep as the Braves. I agree with you. Not only the depth in their bullpen, but in those young minor leaguers who could be impact minor leaguers, um, it's going to be really fun to see. And, yeah, I think hitters are going to be late to the dance. You look at the Braves' rotation, of course, Mike Soroka and Max Fried had their coming-out party last year. Mike Fultonevich got himself back on track in that second half. Cole Hamels signed in the offseason. We'll talk a little bit more about him a little bit later. But those are the four that you kind of expected. Then there was going to be some competition for that fifth spot in the rotation. And a few names that jump out to me as far as guys that both were competing for that and could be seeing their name called early on to cover these innings as the Braves looked to use some of that depth. Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, and Bryce Wilson. They seem, at least to me, to be the most likely to step into those expanded roles as the season gets started. Uh, which one of these guys do you expect to make the most of this chance? Yeah, that's a great question. I would, If I'm a betting man, I do like Kyle Wright because mm-hmm. you know he's a little more polished than, say, a Bryce Wilson who came out of high school. Um, but Bryce has got phenomenal stuff. Yeah. Tuki Toussaint has such a good breaking ball. Um, the key for him is going to be control. Whenever that happens, look out. He's very, very good. But sometimes you have to get to the big leagues and you have to fail. And Tom Glavin, um, John Smoltz early, Greg Maddox, you have to fail and then you have to make those adjustments. You have to learn, first of all, and then be able to make those adjustments. So any of those guys could take off. The Braves are loaded. Um, in that department, but I, I, I'm, I'm expecting a Kyle Wright to kind of get to the next level. I say that because he's pitched so well in AAA, and then he gets to the big leagues, and I think he tries to do a little something different, overthrow, and his command has not been as good as it has been down there. So I think uh, I would I would think somebody like him will take off. And then you guys like Ian Anderson and others, right. my goodness, you know, uh, Braves are loaded in that department, and I think you'll have a sleeper in that area. And um, – you know, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, and no shortage of candidates as well. And as you look at what the Braves are trying to accomplish with their rotation, getting things set up, as I mentioned, the four guys that you kind of expected to take up the first few slots and then, you know, figure out who might be that fifth starter. Well, that was what feels like a lifetime ago back in spring training. And uh, the news before spring training even got started was that uh, Cole Hamels was not expected to be ready to start the season. He was dealing with a setback you know, uh, hurt himself doing some off-season exercises, a weighted ball activity, and his shoulder had been barking at him back in 2019 as well. So uh, having Hamels back and what sounds like all systems are go for him, hearing from Alex Anthopoulos this past week, what does Cole Hamels at this stage of his career, given that he is healthy, what does he bring to the Atlanta rotation from where you sit? 
Well, this is where I really liked the pickup, Cole Hamels, um, because, you know, he's done it. He's been an MVP. He's been a uh, World Series winner. Yeah. He's very, very good, and he helps other people out. You know, guys like Mike Spreed are going to ask him questions, already happened, and they're going to learn. And he's a type guy who doesn't mind sharing. And so look for him to be a difference maker, not just this year on the mound, but the difference maker in Atlanta Braves pitchers for years to come. And you need those kind of guys in that locker room. So I do think it was a good pickup. Here's another thing I like about him now. He doesn't have to throw 200 innings now. Right. You know, his shoulder was injured at the end of last year. But, you know, sometimes you get tendonitis and it's at the wrong time. So the Braves had that checked out. They believed it. They believed in it. And he got injured early this year. But now he's feeling really, really good and only having to pitch for two months assuming the Braves would make the playoffs, let's hope that happens, then he would be sharp. It wouldn't be a Cole Hamels in October that's thrown 180 to 220 innings. It would be a Cole Hamels that's really, really sharp. And so that could be another advantageous thing uh, that could happen to the Braves. And so I think he'll be a big – all eyes are on him. He's a big addition to this team. Yeah, he definitely is, and the Braves are going to be counting on him both to be on the field healthy every fifth day to make those contributions, but as you mentioned, a lot that he can offer some of the Braves' younger pitchers as they begin to mature and learn what it is to not only get to the big leagues and have some success, but sustaining that success over a long period of time. And I want to throw another name on you in that regard, Felix Hernandez, a veteran star uh, yeah. in a different situation than Hamels, I feel like, because his last few years in Seattle, the guy they call King Felix – kind of got dethroned by American League hitters for the most part, but that first 12 seasons, he seemed to be on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Paul, do you think that Hernandez has enough left that he could make an impact or at least be a contributor for Atlanta this season, especially with what we just talked about, some opportunity to cover innings early on in rotation or just after? Yeah, you know, super cheap pickup, too. You know, he's going to come down and be like, I guess, prorated around Mm 400000 But to get a guy with his experience is really, really great. Here's the problem. He doesn't throw 98 anymore. And so he's going to have to adjust his style. And he was doing that in spring training. And I think that took him some time to acknowledge, hey, I'm not the pitcher before. I can't throw chest high, four seam fastballs at 88. It's not going to work. I've got to cut it, sink it, mix up timing. And I think he was doing that in spring training and was having a great spring. So, yes, he will be counted on to eat innings and he'll be a difference maker. Most pitchers are going to have incredible roles. And what I mean by that is reliever will be just as impactful as a starter because he's going to come in in the third, fourth, or fifth inning, possibly for the first month, for half the season. So that's going to mean a lot, and it'll be interesting to see how quickly um, – you know, he can adjust to that new style and carry on what he did in spring training. Yeah, definitely will be. Again, spring training has been quite a while. Hopefully these guys have been working on the side as much as they can to get themselves ready. But this next three weeks, I think, will tell us a lot about the guys that are going to get these opportunities. And a lot of different names could be called, to your point, before things are are kind of settled, at least in the early going, as far as some of these opportunities we're talking about. Another area, though, for the Braves that they've worked hard on to improve, of course, is the bullpen. It began at the trade deadline last year, continued over the winter. Will Smith joins Mark Melanson, Shane Green, Chris Martin, Luke Jackson, and others. In a season like this, I would think, Paul, that having a strong bullpen may be even more vital than ever. Yeah, I think it's going to be probably more important than starters because you're going to see 
so many players come in and you know what i'm just throwing it out there mm-hmm. what happens if one guy in your rotation and two relievers test positive right what are you gonna do you're gonna have to you cover know, that the Braves, that's it and so you look at guys that are on that 60 man and i love this but guys that were just drafted like jared schuster he just got drafted out of wake forest uh, my son faced him when he was at Clemson. Good lefty pitcher. Great changeup. Really, really improved over the last year. Is now throwing mid-90s. Well, you know, he's on that roster. He's another guy that Cole Hamels will influence uh, working out early. But guys like, you know, Minter, uh, Dayton, you know, you look at guys that maybe were used in a certain situation last year for one hitter or one inning or a certain type of game. Mm-hmm. They're going to be counted on to cover at least three hitters and more. And so when you look at uh, a lot of the depth in that Braves bullpen guys that like Shane Green, Melanson, you got a couple closers down there. Chris Martin, again, is going to be big. You know, Luke Jackson, you either love him or you hate him, but I thought he had a good last, good year last I year. I agree. Uh, just because of, of it was his first time doing it, and he went out there and he battled it. And yeah, it was rocky. It wasn't clean, but I loved the fight. And yeah. what happens if he improves? Right. You know, so you're going to have a lot of guys that have closer-type stuff, closer-type mentality, and I think that that will be exposed on other teams quicker than it will be or would be on the Braves. So we'll see about that too. Yeah, I think it will be. Of course, health is the big wild card in all of this, as you mentioned, as the players are tested and we go through trying to figure out what effect, if any, the COVID-19 or coronavirus, if you prefer, will have on the season. You have to imagine and plan for the fact that it truly could change your plans in an instant. And we'll see how the Braves and every club is able to handle that whole deal. Uh, We talked about the depth. They talked about the rotation, the bullpen, a guy that was kind of in between those two roles last year that we've talked a little bit about. uh, And I'm interested to see maybe where you see him now, especially with the format of the season, is Sean Newcomb. He's had starter success. He's had bullpen success. Where do you think he'll get the most of his innings this year? Well, this year it's not going to be as important. I do think that he will start. And that's kind of what he went for. I think he's earned that. He threw well out of the bullpen. He and his agent talked to Alex Anthopoulos, and that was kind of agreed upon. They understood that, and that's what they were working for. They understood what Sean wanted. I like that attitude. I don't think that's selfish. I don't think that's, you know, he just said, hey, I've been working. I want another chance as a starter. When you look at his ERA, it wasn't that bad at all. Right. You know, uh, considering the changes of the baseball, it was actually very good, but it was just at times – it was tough because it was ball two, ball three, strike one. And then it was kind of hard at times um, to watch. Uh, but then he had games where, you know, like against the Dodgers, he's taking no hitters, you know, into the the ninth. And, and you say, God, the stuff is there. So I think he has certainly earned another chance at that. And um, it'll be interesting to see. Well, let's say that he does not start. You know, he's a guy that you'd bring in in the fourth who would throw three or four innings just like the guy that started the game. So that's when I say that this year it's less important uh, as any other year, whether you're a starter or a reliever, you just have to be ready to take the ball and ready to, you know, give your team innings. Opportunity is definitely going to knock. And I think Sean Newcomb has a role to play, whether that's the traditional starter, which could be out the window at least for the first few weeks given the yeah. you know, pitch counts and things that I'm sure clubs, including the Braves, are going to be concentrating on. Or if you're the guy that just has to be the bridge that gets it from that fourth, fifth inning into the sixth, seventh, eighth and helps that bullpen take it home. I mean, wins, however you can get them, 
And whoever can help you do it is going to be the name of the game here in the year 2020. So I'm interested to see where Newcomb ends up and where some of these other young arms end up as well. Uh, Paul, as we wrap up here, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. As a former pitcher, of course, what is your take on the universal designated hitter? Because there's not going to be a spot that you can go to for an out, at least early in ball games for all the uh, National League fans or fans of that style of play. That is going to be off the table this year. Yeah, and so I've played, shoot, uh, I don't know, six or seven in the AL and six or seven in the NL. I like both games. It's different. You know, obviously it's different. There's less strategy in the American League, which is what you're having, but you may have a big poppy type guy that you really want to step up to the plate, but he can't take the field anymore. And so there's value to each. I personally like the strategy in the National League. I like pitchers being rewarded for being able to bunt, being able to hit, working on the craft, caring, being athletic. And there is a definite advantage to that if a pitcher is pitching. You'll also talk to pitchers who are like, I hate that. I just want to focus on pitching. I just want to go sit on the bench. I want to drink my Gatorade, and I want to get ready for the next inning. Yeah. So it's everybody has a different view on it. I personally enjoy the strategy in the National League, but like I indicated earlier. You know, I'm willing to give it a chance. I think there's going to be a lot of creative, you know, things going on. Um, you know, this year, personally, I, I'd love to see the opener. Right. You know, um, and if you do something like that, you know, pitcher's not going to hit anyways that first time around through. And it makes uh, made for a better style or way in the American League. So now that everybody's kind of playing American League baseball, I'm interested to see how many teams do that now that there's a DH. The interesting thing about some of the pitching changes and whatnot that were going on, the rule put in place for the three-batter minimum, of course, for relievers who come into an inning. If you get the third out of the previous inning, you don't have to come back out. But now with the DH, that kind of uh, strategy, I guess, is a little bit out the window as well. So not something particularly to worry about, but something that has caused, I think, uh, a bit of quite a few ripples, if not a couple of waves, is this decision, a little bit more controversial in my book, to put a base runner on second base to start extra innings. Yes. I know how I feel about it, which is I would rather not see it, <laughs> but I'd love to know what you think about this new rule because you've been out there yeah. and competed. I mean, you're trying to keep these guys off base all night long. That's the name of the game. And starting with one on second base and extras, yeah. man, I, I don't know that anybody's going to be able to, to wrap that in a pretty enough paper to get me to accept it. No, you're right. And, again, I'm willing to give it a chance. Now, I have coached under that format mm-hmm. in travel ball, USA team as well. And, you know, it's designed to speed up the game, get things over quicker so that you don't waste any arms or, or things like that. And, you know, when you're playing in that travel ball format and you're playing a certain amount of games in the weekend, it's greatly appreciated. So I think that is going to be something that is going to speed up extra inning games, make a little more noise. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy because the guy that runs out the second you know, no offense to a Braves player, but what if it's one of the catchers who's been lugging gear all, you know, you're going to have to run a, a pinch runner out yeah. there, you're a speedster, you can try to steal third, you're immediately locked in as a pitcher to this guy can steal, game's on the line, what's going to happen? And it's just, uh, it's kind of fun, and um, it's certainly different, and uh, like I said earlier, I'm willing to give it a chance as well. Yeah, and I'm not going to lay into it again. I will say that this is, if there's any year to maybe throw a couple of things at the wall from a rules perspective, I, I guess yeah. that, that's the argument that you could make for it. But as far as a long-term viability of the game, I'm a big proponent of extra innings is adding some drama throughout the course of a season. And yeah. the percentage of games that go to extras is really not altogether that high. And if you wanted to do this maybe starting in the 12th or 13th inning, I could understand that. But 
you know, I, I just I guess there's a lot of different things yeah. about this that uh, from a traditionalist perspective for Major League Baseball, not for the minors or yeah. for college or travel or, or any other league that wants to use it as you groom players and they're kind of growing towards their ultimate goal yeah. of being big leaguers. Uh, just some of this just really doesn't resonate for me from that perspective. Uh, one other thing for you, You want Paul. me to tell you what's going to happen? No, go right you ahead. tell you what's going to Absolutely. happen? Absolutely. All right, here's what's going to happen to you personally. Okay, you ready? Okay. If your team wins, you're going to be happy. If it goes to extra innings <laughs> right? and you lose, you're going to be mad and you're going to be yelling about that rule. And you're going to oh, say, yeah. you know what, if we just played it the way it was supposed to be played. So it's kind of funny uh, to see how it uh, is going to work out. And you can't control unless you have a pinch runner that's just a crazy speedster that you've been saving all game. You can't control who goes out there to second base. So it's uh, it's kind of funny to see what happens when you win or lose. You know, maybe it's time to go see what Billy Hamilton's doing right now. The Braves didn't bring there him back is. in this original spring training, but now maybe with this rule in place, it's time to maybe give him a call and see what's happening. But either way, we'll That's find it. out what it's like. We'll probably experience both the blessing and the curse that this thing could, in fact, be. I did want yeah. to ask you one more thing from the off-field perspective as you played the game for quite a long time and as you were beginning your career that was the last time there was a work stoppage in Major League Baseball. Given what we saw for five, six weeks, really, you know, the better part of what was going on as we watched negotiations between the owner's side and the player's side to resume baseball and to find out how many games we were going to play, do you think the league as a whole realizes how damaging another work stoppage could be for this sport? Sadly, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. And um, it's never easy, you know, after our strike. Uh, in 94, I made it to the big leagues for the first time in 95. And then, you know, I was there in 96, 97, and then retired in 09. You know, there were still people in the late 90s, or shoot, even in 2000s, that were damaged by the strike in 94. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was sad. Um, I don't know why it has to be that way. You know, whether you side with one or the other. I think that baseball makes a lot of money. It does really well. No people are living the American dream. and you know, um, it's one of those where I really wish they could get negotiations along sooner, even for this next agreement, so that we would not have any sort of a work stoppage. But in the end, you know, they went back to the original agreement way back when, a couple months ago, and decided to play. And I love that they put everything aside and did what was right to get back out on the field. Because you may not like baseball, or you may think people are babies, or you may think owners are babies, or what have you, but... This game is important for the country. I agree. And it's there's just bigger things at stake, you know, but you, you have some of the best negotiators in the world uh, in the owners, and you have a players that only have a three-year window. 96% of players play less than three years. Right. So it's important that those guys are taken care of. You know, I said a long time, the Freddie Freemans, the Max Scherzers, the guys that have the big contracts, it hurts them dearly to hold out. They're already getting paid. They could take the money and run, but they're holding out for the lesser player, the guy that's not going to see a lot. And they've done a good job in the past of taking care of coaches and trainers and people in the clubhouse and the pinch hitters and the guys are going to have a very short career. And for that, I'm, I was proud when I was on the side of the players as a player um, in the league. And there's a lot of different things, as you mentioned, quite a few of them that go into the overall dynamics between the two sides. And I certainly don't want to close out our time talking about baseball on a down note of, of reliving yeah. a lot of what went on yeah. over the past couple of months. But 
I really do to echo a lot of what you said. I hope that they realize, you know, how important this game is. And I know that we're living in the digital age where everything seemingly there's leaks, it's reported, it plays out publicly. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the aspect that I'm hoping that a little peek behind the curtain in these negotiations will help them perhaps keep all the other stuff going without having it play out in the press. And maybe it's just my pie in the sky hopes that that will be the case. But, you know, I want to give people as many reasons to love the sport as possible and, you know, labor negotiations, work stoppages and all those kinds of things, not exactly things that endear you to the general public, if you will, because it is a great game. It is a big business as well. And hopefully they can find the ways to uh, make sure that both of those things continue for a very long time and people can come and pay their hard-earned money to cheer on their team and enjoy baseball for all that it has to offer because I'm with you. I, I think it's incredibly important in the grand scheme of sports and also just giving people the opportunity to have that outlet in their life. You know, baseball has been there yeah. for a very, very long time. It's survived a couple of world wars and uh, a lot of other you know, different things going on in the history of our country. So I'd like to see it keep on ticking and, you know, give people what it always has. And that's uh, the opportunity to really escape and plug into what is such a great game. Can I say something real quick based on that? Oh, for sure. If you're a fan listening to this show, not every baseball player is in it for the money. You do not get to the level of being one of the best players in the world by playing for money. You get to that level by working hard, loving the game, and being blessed with God-given talent. And you have to have all those things. It is such a grind. If you don't love the game, you won't be there. And are there people in those locker rooms who do care about money too much and are greedy? Yes, there are. But that's not all of them. And there's some really great sacrificial, great stories in that locker room of people who play the game for the right reasons, put their bodies on the line, pitch, hit, do things when they're hurt, and sacrifice their careers so that their team can win the game. And don't forget about those guys because they're in there. They're all over the place. And don't give up on the game because there's stalled negotiations. It's a great game. There's great players. Find the right ones to pull for your team, and you will not be disappointed. So thank you for hanging in there. With baseball fans, I was frustrated too, and I hope a lot of those feelings go away here on the 23rd or 24th whenever they take the field. No doubt about it. It's something that I think will help a lot for the healing of both the sport and for the country as we get some sports back in our life and have the opportunity to have that outlet again. It doesn't necessarily overshadow all the things going on in the world, but it sure is nice and I'll call it therapeutic, if nothing else, to have that uh, be a part of your life, especially if you've committed a large chunk of your life to the game of baseball itself. So I really enjoyed our conversation, Paul, going through a lot of things going on in both Major League Baseball around the world, of course, with the Atlanta Braves. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon and perhaps being able to catch up at a Major League ballpark, maybe, in fact, Truist Park, which we haven't been to since the name has been changed. But hopefully the results remain the same for the Atlanta Braves in 2020, and that is another good run at the top of the National League East. So, Paul, I appreciate your time and look forward to catching up with you again soon. You got it, Grant. Thanks so much. Really, really enjoyed the call. You got a great show. Again, my thanks to Paul Bird for making some time to talk about the Braves pitching staff with me. And my thanks to Bill Rowland for chopping up all the MLB headlines for this week. Once again, find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. My thanks to Paul Bird and Bill Rowland for making time to join the show. And my thanks to you for making some time to listen to From the Diamond this week. 
As always, it's very much appreciated. And we're looking forward to bringing you more Braves and baseball talk next week right here on From the Diamond. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.